the podcast for women in STEM and education. I am Dr. Amber Miller. And I am Dr. Richa Chandra. In this episode, we revisit with previous guest, Dr. Alicia Volmar. We really felt like we had only scratched the surface with her in our previous episodes. She actually created the premise and was the inspiration for our Knocked Up or Knocked Out episode series. She was recently awarded a doctorate degree in structural biology. In this episode, she shares with us her raw and emotional story involving childhood abuse, substance abuse, neglect, and homelessness. So before we get into Dr. Volmar's story, I want to know, Amber, how are you dressed for success today? Well, today I'm wearing a t-shirt that was a gift, and I'll just clue you in. I love funny science t-shirt gifts, so um, just keep me in mind when you see something fun. But it says, a moment of science, please. And I think that this really is a good representation of today's episode and how science can have such a huge impact on people's lives, even if we don't realize that. But Richa, how are you dressed for success today? Well, I, I think that's a really good good point, Amber. You know, science had a huge impact on Alicia's life. Um, the other thing I was reflecting on is the fact that, you know, how she had to move around from different homes and how I'm so privileged, we're so privileged to have homes. So I'm working from home today and I'm in pajamas. <laughs> I haven't had to actually leave the house. I even dropped off my, my daughter at school from the car. So they're, they're, I guess they're not actually pajamas. They're palazzo pants. I guess you can, you know, pass them off as being both normal wear outside the home and inside the home. But yeah, I'm definitely feeling very blessed right now that I have a home that has like enough space for my whole family, my kids, my crazy cats. I have space to work in this home. And I think that as a society, we need to recognize how many people don't have that. Kids don't have space to study or a supportive environment, and that leads to education inequalities. Yeah, and I think especially, right, those are becoming even more and more present with our current learning situation with the COVID world. Um, And I think, you know, shout out to the teachers and districts that are really doing the best that they can to provide their resources and technology for their students to be successful. But all of that said, if they don't have a place where they can learn, right, and engage and do the things that they need to do, right, there will always be these kind of discrepancies or inequalities. And it just kind of helps to remind me that the value of going to school is not just a place to be educated, but it's a place to escape. We can talk a little bit about my mother. Um, She grew, she was born in Boston. Uh, My grandmother is black. Her father is white, you know, like interracial couple in the 60s. Grew up in Wellesley, very wealthy. You know, my mother was pretty spoiled in some ways there was a lot going on my grandmother suffered from alcoholism my grandfather overworked so my mother they just kind of threw money at her and she ran the streets of boston recently i had a conversation with my mother's childhood friend and i found out that um they lost track at uh, 21 abortions that she had and that sometimes she would have an abortion and then just go to the club the same night and then they'd be like wow she's a badass she's like just had an abortion and she's acting like nothing happened and she was just like all over the place she was 20 my dad was 16 and um they didn't really know each other i guess my mother got pregnant had to like call the school to find him because you know she didn't even know his number or anything um, so he was against abortion. So he was like, yeah, he, he I guess she was talking about getting an abortion and he was like, uh, nope. And, um, I was the first child my mother ever had. My brother, who was also my father's child, 
is the the second and I know of an abortion in between that. I've also found out that she was also doing um, cocaine while she was pregnant with me. I was taken away for a couple weeks um, when I was born because of that, but they, they put me back. So I mostly grew up with my mother. My father went to jail around a couple years old for attempted murder. Um, he disabled a man with a bat and went to jail. So he was gone. And it was just my mother and I <clears throat> and my brother. And um, we moved around to East Boston. She was on drugs, involved with gangs. Um, someone was shot on our front porch. Our house was set on fire because she had these connections to gangs. There'd be like huge parties at our house or she would be gone for a couple of days and we'd be alone. One time DCF took us because um, she left us home alone and our chimney fell. You can kind of tell like when you walk in the door, she was like on pills and drunk because if she mixed ambient and alcohol, it was hell. So we'd walk in and if there's like food on the stove and it's like crazy seasoned or it's burnt, it, it, the music's just really, you just know something's up. So he'd like just tell us Operation Queen, Clean Sweep and we'd have to sweep the house for pills and try to find out where she was stashing them that time. One time I found her in the closet under the rug, like shoveling pills into her mouth because she knew we were going around cleaning and um, she would like swing on us. And then the next day she'd be like, oh, I don't remember. And make she'd be like, oh, if you don't clean the toilet light, right, you have to lick it. You have to lick it clean. Oh my um, God. it's like, yeah, a movie, like a really, yeah. And like one time she like banged my head off of the toilet because like, I didn't clean it right. Like, or, you know, like would catch me in the shower and like whip me with the shower curtain rod. Like, you know what I mean? Like in the shower, she, like, I just see a hand come in and it was like, boop. And then suddenly the whole shower curtain's on me and I'm getting hit in the head with the shower curtain rod going through, like from that like I was just like oh I can't wait to get out of here it's like I just can't wait to, like yeah. the only way I knew out was because like I know I'm good at math to science the only thing I know I can do that will that makes sense that you know and I'd apply for boarding schools and I was in junior high to try to go to like high school boarding schools and that was like my dream was to like to go to like one of the day I think it was like Dana Hall or one of those schools in Wellesley and just like go there and not live with my mother and then I could focus just on school and not have all these distractions Her childhood was horrific, to say the least. She dealt with more challenges and just more terrible situations than most people deal with in their entire lifetime, probably five times over. And it's a little bit illogical to hear how Dr. Volmar felt freed when she was abandoned, but with her newfound freedom, she still had yet to hit rock bottom. My mother left me at the old apartment on the floor, but I was happy. I was like, go, bye. And then like sometime in between there, she kicked me out. She called, you know, call me as a runaway to the police. The police, first thing they do is they contact my school. School's like, um, she never missed school. So she's been here. So they, they reached me at school and I was like, she kicked me out. She took my keys. She let me leave with no clothes. Like, why would I just leave like that? Like, she took, you know, the only thing she let me take is my books. So my mother was like, okay, <clears throat> you can stay at the old apartment and me and your brother are gonna move into the new apartment. And then she said, when you get there, there's going to be some new rules. So some of them was like, I couldn't go to school until I cleaned the kitchen, the living room, did a load of laundry, cleaned the bathroom. And mind you, she had parties every night with all these people coming, doing drugs. She made me cook for them. 
And then there were some other nights where she'd be like, oh, don't come home before 10. And I'm like 15, 16 years old, you know? So at this point I ended up with this guy, really toxic relationship. I just like didn't have anyone. So I just fully latched on to him and it didn't go well, but I would just be with him all the time. And, you know, once that went south, I just was like, I can't live anymore. Try to hang myself, like just went crazy. And then once like, try to do that a couple of times. But once like it didn't work, I was like, okay, no way but up. Like I'm literally rock bottom. I'm homeless. I'm, I had to after school. Oh, because after that, you know, my, around the time before I broke up with that boyfriend, my mother kicked me out. And she will still tell you that I left, but she kicked me out in a snowstorm. Like I how- mean, there was times I wish my teachers would just take me home so I could just focus on school. Like that was all I wanted. Like that was like, the dream like if I could just focus on school without my mother I'm good so like once I was out even though like I was homeless like I was moved to school I always yeah my grades went up after I was homeless you know I'd have like a trash or a laundry bag full of all like shampoos and so all my clothes like anything I could take with me and I used to have to like leave school pick it up you know, and then go where I was going that next day. Like, you know, I had to like go get my bag, you know, sometimes it was my grandmother, sometimes it was a friend's and I just like go get my bag and, you know, I could just go wherever. So I did that for like a couple of years. And then um, my brother was staying with the, um, these women, they were married to each other. They had me over for Christmas and I just really never left. Um, I had, a, by the, by that time I already determined I was going to go to college, but I just wasn't stable enough to really do it the way I wanted to so um they helped me do that um made me apply for a lot of scholarships and then there was one in particular I didn't want to do because it was like six essays and they were all really personal they they weren't ones I've written before so it wasn't like I could just use a stock essay and edit it and um I actually didn't get it I actually got eliminated in the first round but they emailed me and they were like well Trinity College will accept your application if you just respond to this email, they'll take that application used for that scholarship as your a free application to this school. So I did it and um, I got in and then they gave me a full financial package, which was actually more than the scholarship. So I actually got tuition, room, board. I did really well in college, you know, like it was finally like really real stability, you know, like I was living there on my own and going to my classes. I did track. Um, you know, I was a TA, SI leader, like, you know, I was always involved, pride leader, every event. She got to college and things looked good and promising for the most part. Still, she had to face other students' unfounded racist verbal attacks. It always seemed like when it was like the the drunken nights where all the racist stuff would come out. So it was like some frat guys would be like, oh, like they're drunk. And they're just like, oh, you're only here because of affirmative action or because of the government. And I'm like, well, last time I checked, this is a private college. This isn't a public institution. Yeah. So I'm not here because of the government. Right. And then I'd be like, you know, I, I bet I have a higher GPA wow. in you and a harder major. Right. And then they'd be like, oh, like, the, you know, like it was always like the backtracking, but. Overall, I really liked Trinity College. It was a really small school. I got a lot of individualized attention. 
So um, they actually have a program called the Trinity Scholars Program. And at the time they were need blind and they were meeting 100% of the students need. And the year that I filed my FAFSA to go to college, my income was only $5,000 that year. And I was considered an independent because my mother had kicked me out two years before. Um, and, you know, I was pretty much on my own, but I was literally on the streets and I had like the little bit of money I'd worked for. I don't think they have that program anymore. So I really got lucky. I also, you know, I left the guy who was my husband now and I dated this other guy who's from, you know, Brockton and he kind of threw me off a lot. Um, that's my, my son's dad. He, he put me kind of similar into a similar depression that I was in when I was 16. It made the end of undergrad very difficult, um, but I still always made sure I passed my classes, but my grades took a little dip and, you know, I just didn't, well, I, every weekend I could, I just leave campus and just be away from everyone. Me and that boyfriend moved to Atlanta where I started at Emory University to do graduate school. And that went, as I've mentioned in the other podcast, that didn't go so well. You know, there's just pretty much when I visited there, they were like, yeah, you can join this program. You can teach, you know, it was on their website. You could teach high school students instead of TA and college students, which I appealed to me because I was like, I don't know if I want to do these like Emory students, you know, like, I don't know. I just, at the time I was like, I'd rather, you know, like work with high school students. Like that sounds so much more fun. And it was like in the diverse areas. And then I got there and I find out that program's been out of commission for years and they let me talk about it. They told, I told them all about at visitation, like all about how I was so excited to do this program and not one professor stopped and said, we don't even do that program anymore. And then they told me I would get the diversity fellowship and they gave it to a white male. Um, I was the only person of color, but he was gay. So they gave it to him because he was gay, which I'm like, okay, I guess that's diversity, but I still feel like he has a lot of privilege where I don't think he should have gotten the diversity fellowship. If yeah. There was no one else of color in our cohort. I ended up leaving before, I felt like I was leaving before I filled out. Like, let me get out before it's drawn on. And I, you know, so I left and I was like, I'm never doing that again, ever. I'm never doing grad school again. I was like, that was horrible. So, I mean, I remember you were saying like when you were um, going to different groups to see like where you would actually, um, which group you would work they were kind of, you know, basically pushing you away, saying like, yeah. oh, I can't handle you pregnant, blah, 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 which I think is crazy in this COVID world now, like, because everybody is finding ways to work, yes. be productive. And I mean, like you, you're only pregnant for, you know, a short period of time compared yeah. to the length of a PhD. Right. So to think that they couldn't find a way to include you and I guess they did with David Lynn's lab, but like, the, yeah, like the other people, like they could have gave me some sort of other project. It, it was odd there. And, you know, Felicia said, like, did you ever get the sense that people were having conversations about you, but you didn't know about what? Like, you know what I mean? That's how, like, and I was like, exactly. Like, I just felt like everybody else knew what was going on but me. And it was just like, I'm just, they, I kind of surprised them at the end because it's, it's funny because a, a girl who was in the program, she was five years ahead of me or four years ahead of me and she was the only person of color and I got accepted like as she was on her way out so it kind of felt like oh they just stuck me in this program to have someone and she didn't even know that same boyfriend I got into a fight with him and he pretty much was like you can stay here and do grad school or whatever but I'm taking our son who was two months old I'm still breastfeeding he's like I'm gonna take him to Boston and me and my mom are gonna take care of him and 
you can come visit, you can do whatever, but you can do school. And I was like, I'm going right now. And I quit. I went to school and back as fast as I could to make sure that he wasn't going to leave. And I took Junior on the plane and he took his car. I gathered that Alicia felt like a failure at this point, but fortunately she had an amazing parental figure in her life still. Her foster mom held her and her son's father accountable. I think this is where we really encounter her resilience, her foster parents' resilience, and it gave her the strength she needed to own her own struggle. I don't even care about school. I don't care what lab you put me in. I I need a mentor I'm going to work with, and that's going to be honest and open and tell me what's going on and advocate for me. If there is a meeting without me, like I know they're going to speak on me. So that's how I found Carla. You know, definitely didn't let me lean into my weaknesses. I have ADHD, so I, you know, like sometimes get off track or I'll lose focus. And she definitely didn't like let me do that. So it's really um, strengthened me. You know, PhD, I had another daughter. I got married to my high school sweetheart. I got back with Cliff, who I was with for four years. When I moved back to Atlanta, I was in a hole and I was really upset with my son's father because I felt like he ruined grad school for me. Like, I already knew once you don't have, like, once he has custody and he's in Boston, it's all in his hands. I'll probably have to quit anyway, just so I could be nearby to, to fight this out. I made the leap decision that day, like, I'm quitting today. As soon as he said, the first time he said, oh, well, I'm going to take him to my mom's, I was like, I'm, I don't even care about this program like that. Like, I'll get a job. I had a bachelor's because from what I came from, I had a bachelor's degree in science. I'm like, I can get a really good job. I can make decent money and I'll be happy. I don't even need a PhD. Like, it's not even worth all that stuff that they're doing. And I actually ended at that point, I fell into a depression after coming back home. I ended up at some day outpatient mental health thing, but it was like with all the homeless people in Brockton and, but they were really nice. Like I really connected with some people and they were like really happy for me because I actually found out while I was in that program that I got into grad school. So it was kind of like, okay, I can't come here anymore. Bye guys. Like I'm going to grad school now. (laughs) You know, they're all happy for me and stuff, but it's like, you know, um, and then that's when um, me and Cliff reconnected. And then we bought a house right when we got engaged. And then um, we got married in 2017. And then we had Sage in 2018. She has had a hard life with plenty of ups and downs, but she keeps trying to pay it forward. And in the next part of our conversation, we hear how she tried to help out a childhood friend. The last year I had... A girl who was homeless with her three children living here while trying to finish out my PhD. I, you know, that was less than a year ago. And all eight of us under one roof and raising our five children together, you know, like, and that went badly and I had to recover from losing that friendship, losing three children, you know, like kind of having to turn into someone I never wanted to be like towards her. You know, I, I kind of felt like life always beat her up. I never wanted to be that person, but she kind of, you know, threatened my son. And so it was kind of like, you got to go today, right now, goodbye. Never, don't come in my house again. It was just like automatic. And I guess a lot of my life is just those snap decisions. Like I just make a decision and that's it. Like, I don't feel guilty about it. I'm just like, when I quit grad school, I was just like, that's going to college. When I, when I left my mother's house, you know, going to college, like, this is it. Like, th- like I may usually make a choice and that's 
what I'm going to do no matter what. I mean, I wonder if you, I don't know, just like listening to your childhood, you became kind of calloused and, you know, like it's. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, my opinion, after finding out that I was like the 21th child that was supposed to be born, I'm not supposed to live with regrets because I wasn't supposed to be here. Like I literally, I'm not even supposed to be here. So anything I do is just for my own entertainment I don't know like my own you know my own purpose like I'm not doing it for anyone else I don't have parents who are gonna be like we're gonna be ashamed of you or you know someone like oh you're gonna be something there was never no disappointments it was kind of like whatever I did is on me like it's not even like people could take credit for it or you know what I mean like it was always just like whatever it's just on me now I'm looking for a job yeah no I mean it's so incredible like you came out of so much toxicity hostility all these things that are like kind of coming to my mind. And, um, and I know, you know, there were several obstacles that kind of still came up and obviously depression and, you know. Yeah. What I've learned over time is that a lot of what I thought was anxiety and depression was really ADHD because I was untreated until like last year. And so, um, you know, I've been working on that. I think that's kind of straightened out a lot of the kinks in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I think one thing that's come up that I've struggled with is anger. You know, I can't like I'm not super callous where I'm just like cold. I've had a lot of anger. Um, I had already been in therapy for like a, a year before COVID. So it was kind of like, I'm glad I already have this set up and we're just doing telehealth now with someone I trust. You know, because I can imagine how hard it is. COVID's been okay for me. Like I'm okay with being by myself, you know, like it's just been, I've been through a lot. So like being home is just really comforting and looking at prospective jobs and thinking about like what I can do to, you know, have financial freedom. Hopefully one day, like start like a, a, a village or something like a compound. I don't know. Like, <laughs> you know, to kind of like, yeah, I don't know, but I don't know. It's, I just, want to start something that helps more people yeah you know and that's why anybody who's asked me about like getting a phd i'm like do not do it if you really don't need it like or you don't want it if you have a job and you don't need it for that career that you want or there's any other way don't do it if (laughs) if it's just about having that doctorate title sounds nice don't do it like you know for me it was partially about the doctorate title but for me it was for the love of the science like I'm glad I made it through I don't know if I would have done it <laughs> I'm glad I did but it, it was hard it's even like I feel like I'm all tough and you know I've been through a lot but I still felt like that PhD took a piece of me like that it took a really hard like digging deep to like pull out that last part to finish like what I started basically you know, I know you were saying it was like lucky moments, but at the same time that you had it in you to like persevere through, I mean, yeah. I'm thinking about you, you don't get, you know, exactly what somebody is living through when they're homeless. And especially like with COVID stuff, right. I have a lot of students that ended up homeless, mm-hmm. um, picked out of the door. You know, a lot of homelessness looks like couch surfing where it's hard to tell someone you're homeless because you don't live, you don't sleep on the sidewalk. Yeah. You know, I, I, I almost had one time I had to sleep outside, but, you know, I knocked on people's doors and they'll let you in for one night. But sometimes it's just like me. You have a laundry bag and, you know, you're at this person's place and you I went to school and I knew I can't stay there again tonight. Like I need to take that bag. You kind of have to sometimes spread out all the places you're allowed to stay. 
because you're not allowed to live somewhere. So that's what a lot of homelessness looks like is not truly being in a shelter or, you know, sometimes you're in a hotel this night to hold you off so you can go back to this place. Or maybe a lot of girls will stay with a certain guy just so they have a place to sleep, but they have to do things for it. You know what I mean? But it's not for money or anything. It's just like, oh, I know if I hang out with this guy long enough. I mean, what do you think? I mean, like looking back at all of that and your trajectory and now that you're emerging from like on the other side of things, like what do you think that people like me who, you know, are coaching, mentoring students or institutions like or the high school teachers or what can people do to improve like outcomes for, you know, for anyone who's struggling like the way you did? Um. That's tough because it's so individualized. So when I think of like diverse, like getting diversity, there's like the top, top diversity in STEM. And they're going to go to Harvard, MIT, whatever, because they're like really good. They get great grades. They do great research. You know, they're involved in everything. But I do feel like there's a large like 20 to 30 percent who are really eager could do it if they had the opportunity. And I think a lot of it is seeking those people out, you know, so a lot of people like to think three, four years, three, four months out. And I, I, I don't know, maybe like if you're mentoring someone, like having them make small goals so they could see that they could check those boxes, you know what I mean? Like tell them like, Oh, like you think about fellowship. Okay. When you come back to me, have three written down, like, you know what I mean? Three that you want to apply for. And we'll, we could talk about how you can do this. Like kind of like those really, really, really small goals. And I, I actually read something about um, people of color. If you hold a class and you make like everyone write, I forget what the exact, there was a study, but they had to write a statement about like their wishes or their dreams or their values. It was about their values and they had to write their values and then share it with like other people in the class. Wow. People of color who normally would not know other people in the class actually became more connected when they found like oh this person who I would never even probably talk to actually has the same values as me and it actually opens people up for participation so really like um kind of almost forcing people to speak maybe not science related but the more you get people to open up the more they'll actually might find each other and study with each other and that actually helps I love that we end our conversation with some practical advice for working and mentoring people of disadvantaged backgrounds. And there was a pivotal and important stroke of luck and timing in her story for applying for the scholarship. And programs like that in higher education can make a big difference. We don't wanna lose women like Alicia. We don't want them to fall through the cracks in our society. And we're also in an extreme climate of racial tension right now that needs to be addressed. I think educators need to step up to the plate. On the next episode of WiseCast, Bringing Healthy Back, What's Missing in Medicine, we speak with Dr. Sarai Stancic, a board-certified physician in infectious disease and lifestyle medicine, about how she achieved remission from multiple sclerosis through lifestyle medicine. She is spreading this awareness through her new book and documentary, Code Blue. Stay tuned. We are in the process of now building something new and even bigger as the wisest women. You can support WiseCast and our future projects to help close the gender gap for women in STEM and education. Visit us on social media and our new website, thewisestwomen.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. I am Dr. Amber Miller. And I am Dr. Richa Chandra.